Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, April 5th, 2013. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, it's all about Amazon Web Services, EC2, RDS, CloudWatch, and our new possible personal favorite, Simple Notification Service. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. waiting to see if you'd start humming. No, I was, I was waiting to see if you would. <laughs> All right. It's a new intro music. Yes, I'm just going to hum it because it's easier. Yeah. Niche <laughs> unplugged. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we're going to gain many listeners for that. <laughs> <laughs> So in case you couldn't tell, dear listener, I'm traveling. Yes, and getting over a head cold. Yeah, can you still tell? Yeah. I'm used to it. Yep, I think we were both sick. We were, like both had a... Did you have a cold or did, what was... I oh, don't yeah, remember. Yeah, I remember you, you had barbecue chicken disease. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I had... I had I had an awful sinus headache for a couple of days there, and then, yeah, then I had barbecue chicken disease. (laughs) Which is very slimming, I'm told. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, I finally, I've been dodging uh, a cold from Erica and Cooper for like, I'm going to say six weeks. They've been sick for as long as I've known them. (laughs) And it just, finally... Caught up with me. So, but I'm getting over it now. But yeah, I am uh, dialed in from sunny Miami. Well, it's night, but. So, <clears throat> so I'm, I apologize for the sound. I'll see what I can do in post production, but whatever you're listening to is what you get. It's actually not bad. Oh, good. That's good. All right, shall we? Yes. Excellent. So, first. Some housekeeping. Uh, Last week, you might have noticed, dear listener, that we did a significantly shorter episode. uh, And due to the massive lack of outcry, we're going to continue trying to keep them to a little uh, trimmer length. So maybe more around a half hour or so instead of a rambling hour. Uh, a little bit easier to digest. Yeah, easier. It's smaller to download. It's it's more focused. Uh, it, it's I think it's good all the way around. But if you uh, despise it, feel free to l- let us know, and we can ramble on twice as long. <laughs> yeah. If you're if you're into that sort of thing, yeah. I'll, I'll be amazed and and a little flattered and happy to ramble. And maybe a little scared. Yeah, that too. <laughs> So that's one thing. And the other piece of housekeeping is, drum roll please. Next week is the interview with Ethan Marcotte, better known as Beep on Twitter, and the father of responsive web design. For our, our birthday episode, I guess. Yes. Hooray! Hey, Yay! Cheap. 52. It's not really because we skipped a week, but hey, who's counting? Yeah, and... um. I was thinking we started at the end of May, whatever, it's close enough, or end of April, but whatever, close enough. Yeah. 
No one's listening anyway. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Anyway, uh, so that's really that's really about it. Please uh, tune in next week. Uh, I, I'm gonna. I think we should attempt to broadcast live. I think so. Because that was kind of. It wasn't too hard, and it, it was fun. A couple people listened, and next week. We'll see if Ethan can uh, bring in the droves. As we know, he is uh, he's an extremely popular guy. And that I'm just quickly trying to look at my calendar to see. We're planning to do it at one beginning at one p.m. Eastern time. On so, Wednesday. On Wednesday, yes, that's helpful, isn't it, to know the day? Yes, yes it is. And of course, it'll still be. You know, it'll still be up for, for download and all of that on Friday. Yes, naturally. Yeah. So Wednesday, April 10th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Dial in on Ustream to, uh, to listen live, ask questions, interact. It's, well, I'm sure we'll both, at least you and I, and, and the Niche Twitter account will all be tweeting it. Yes. Yeah, although it's... it's it's up to you, dear listener, to interact. We can't make you do it. No. As much as we'd like to. <laughs> All right, so that's enough housekeeping. We're trying to keep these to a half an hour, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Kelly and I just had an extremely eventful uh, last five days, I'd say. Uh, yeah, Friday through Monday at least. Yeah, we did. We, you ever see one of those like crazy HGTV shows where they get like a big truck and a huge chainsaw and they cut a house off its foundation and they drive it like 200 miles away and put it on a new foundation? We did that. We did that. <laughs> <laughs> it was super wacky. Very fun. Uh, but we yeah. had a uh, had a basically a a a. Very busy, reasonably busy, not Twitter busy, but a reasonably busy uh, website that needed to be moved from an existing host that uh, had a hard drive filling up that couldn't be expanded uh, and basically transferred it over to a sort of suite of Amazon Web Service services and uh, flipped the switch and put out some fires, but basically went pretty smoothly, I thought. Yeah, there were there were a couple of small issues, but anytime anytime you move something that big, you pretty much gotta figure there's gonna be something, but all in all I th- I thought it re- thought it went really well. Yeah, I mean the thing that killed me was the DNS took forever to re to, to propagate. That was the worst part of it for me. Yeah, yeah. You know some of it still wasn't changed when I got up the next morning for me. Oh God. I mean that there was it's a long story that we don't need to go into because it's not interesting but that was that was the most frustrating part <clears throat> delayed things uh but then there was some some like kind of the types of bugs you'd expect uh that cropped up after that and we you know figured them out and fixed them uh but the upside of that and what would assume uh, presumably would be interesting to you dear listener is the a whole bunch of stuff that uh that that we used on uh, AWS and some things we learned and some new sort of new cool things. And so we wanted to take this episode and talk about some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I guess, geez, where do we start? So I guess 
you know, it's uh, obviously it's a client project. We don't want to like go into like super huge details, but basically, the um, the website was on a dedicated host, not unlike the uh, the GoDaddy dedicated host that I have lamented many times on the podcast. But it's basically an actual machine, and uh, we wanted to move it over, but we needed a lot more hard drive space. So the concept was to uh, to to augment the EC2 instance where the, the marketing site and the application were actually going to run, uh, augment it with EBS volumes that uh, would be able to handle this sort of pretty large storage needs of the application. Yeah, we were dealing with some some very, very large amounts of data in um, many, many, many directories. Yeah, like something like 10,000 directories for a total of like... Uh, terabyte and a half of data, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a lot of stuff to move over. R-Sync to the rescue. Uh, that was a big yes. big piece of it. Um, but yeah, so we set up an EC2 instance with a bunch of EBS volumes hanging off of it, uh, like a couple 500 gigs, maybe a couple terabytes. And it just really, I don't even know, and the reason why I don't even know or remember is because you, you know, there was, we talked about adding one to do some quick processing you know like file crunching and then like okay now we'll get rid of it it was like it's like so even the client at one point said that that aws makes him feel the opposite of claustrophobic (laughs) it's like you you can do whatever you want yeah yeah and you can do it with just a couple of clicks of the mouse yeah it's almost yeah your quote was like it's scary how easy they you know it is they make it for you to spend money. Yeah. Just like, oh yeah, just add a just add a terabyte. Oh, another terabyte. Oh, just add a couple cores. Yeah. 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 Dial it to eleven. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so EC two probably people are familiar with uh, with with from us talking about it before, but EC two is basically Amazon's. It's kind of like their server. You know, it's like if you need a server product, you need to compute stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like a VPS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm going to see how many TLAs we can cram into this episode. <laughs> I forgot to say EBS in the intro, too. I yeah, that. you did. That's a bummer. So so EC2 is kind of like a little brain. That's where you'd put all your, like, your, that's where you put your Ruby app or your Rails, your Rails app or your PHP app or whatever. And what do you remember... Those the EC2 instances come with a certain amount of persistent storage space, but it's pretty low. Do you remember how much it is? Yes, they do. They have an eight gigabyte EBS volume for storing the um, just the operating system mm-hmm. file system. And if you if you don't need more, you can of course use that to store to store your data on. Right. Uh, but if you need additional space beyond that, then you start attaching EBS volumes to it. Yeah, and so this was, when I first heard about this, I was a little bit like, I was kind of scratching my head, um, because there's an alternative to EBS that, that for, if, if you ask me, is like a very niche case where you, it's like not persistent, it's like temp directories. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can, you can, it's their, their alternative to EBS, you can use, um, with some of the larger EC2 instances, there is some... Um, yeah, it's kind of a virtual virtual storage. I forget exactly yeah, what they call it. I can't remember what it's called. But 
but, but basically, basically the instance stops and the storage goes away. <laughs> yeah. So right. So if you restart the instance, the data is gone. So that's that's useful in a, a sort of an edge case. Probably lots of applications could use that kind of thing, but that is definitely not what we needed. <laughs> no, no, not. No. It's it's faster. The read and write time to it is is faster than you'd get with an EBS volume. Right. But it's temporary. So if you're doing something where you're processing a lot of files or maybe you just want to store some log files and it doesn't really matter if you lose, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's not what we wanted. So we wanted no. we wanted these EBS, elastic block storage volumes. And they're kind of like, I, I describe them to like average people as like external hard drives that you just plug into your EC2 instance. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like... Uh, a big hunk. It's like however much you want of storage, pretty much. It goes up to like, I think you can have up to like 16 terabytes or something. Uh, yeah, the largest you can, the lar- largest a single EBS volume can be is one terabyte. Mm-hmm. And you can have up to 16 of them at a time attached to your instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so that's probably plenty for anybody's needs. And if you need more than that, you probably shouldn't be using EBS anyway. Uh, in fact, we probably won't continue using EBS because we're going to hopefully migrate this over to an S3 solution eventually anyway, um, which is not technically a TLA, but I feel like it. I feel like it's kind of. I feel like it should qualify. <laughs> no response. <laughs> that was too much of a reach. Anyway, so I just thought it would be more more, more <laughs> better to let that one sit in silence. I, yeah, I, I felt like Johnny Carson for a second there. <laughs> Slow clap. Yeah, <laughs> I'll see if I can find a cricket sound effect. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so that's EC2, that's EBS, and those served us extremely well. Uh, and I and the other thing that we used that was instrumental was RDS. And I, I get, I recently got a question from one of the dear listeners about, um, you know, someone who's getting ready to dip their toe in the Amazon web services pool and was, was kind of confronted with a question that I think we wrestled with at, at, in an early phase, which was, uh, I'm, I'm going to set up this EC2 instance uh, I'm going to put a bunch of code on it that used to be on a dedicated server that I had. And on that old dedicated server, I also had MySQL installed. Yeah. And the application talked to MySQL. So the most obvious thing to do is to spin up the EC2 instance, install the application, install MySQL, and just go to town just like just like the application currently is set up. Yeah, yeah. which you can certainly do. You can certainly do that. But I can't think of a reason why I would recommend it, because unless the, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, unless you're working on something small and really need to cut costs. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that would be it would be cheaper. Yeah, yeah, but um, you know, if you're working if you're working on um, like a very small application. Or your database load is is pretty low, and it's not going to be any kind of uh, resource uh, resource intensive. It's not going to be any resource constraints on the the EC2 volume. Yeah, like it's a prototype, or you're just doing development, 
and there's no actual, there are no users in it, um, or you, or, or you know, I guess you could set yourself up with a really big honking EC2 instance, but those start to get really expensive. Yeah, I feel like at that point it's more expensive or uh, more cost effective to buy a smaller EC2 instance and, and an RDS instance. Right, and so that and that was kind of the conversation I was having with the dear listener, which was, it was like, you you want to. I, my recommendation was to break things up, even though that sounds like more work and it sounds maybe a little scarier because there's already, there's already this fear of like switching off of, of what is, you know, a physical machine next to the guy's desk, mm-hmm. you know, in a, well, it's in a rack you know, next to the guy's desk and I'm going to move this into the cloud. So that's scary already. And then it's like, okay, um, now I'm going to split the pieces that were on this machine onto, into different logical areas or different, I don't, I almost, I, I almost wanted to say different machines, which it is, but it's a little bit more abstract than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but yeah, the benefits of doing it are ginormous. Yeah. Um, you instantly, instantly get so much more flexibility. If you're, if you're doing something on your EC2 instance and uh, you end up screwing up your entire instance or it's not working or suddenly things get too big and you need to add more instances for load balancing if your database is separate, you can just you can just do all that stuff. You can create, delete, yeah, uh, EC2 instances you know, to your heart's content without messing up your data. Yeah, and uh, another huge benefit is that you can manage your processors separately. So yes. if, if your if your uh, application is like a web app or a website, you know you're going to have a very you're going to have a probably a pretty steady load. Yeah, maybe, you know, I don't know. You're going to have a, you're going to have one kind of load. And then yeah. your database though can get a very different kind of load than your the your than what's handling the tra- you know the the web traffic because particular kinds of queries like one request could be like brutal on the database but not brutal on the application server. Mhm. So to have an application server that has enough memory to deal with database spikes is like it doesn't it doesn't make sense really. I don't know. I, I would have thought that it did make sense in the past, but now that I've sort of drunk the Kool Aid, I'm like, that's crazy. You know, there are <laughs> two very discrete kinds of computing. Yes. And, you know, handling web requests is one thing, and dealing with database requests is a very different thing. And so having a having an RDS instance set up to handle that, uh, and, and this actually happened to us. One of the we had three databases hanging off of the various sites uh, involved, and one of them was getting hammered for some reason, and it was just like the CPU was just pegged at a hundred, and we just just said, okay, you know, upgrade upgrade that from a micro to a medium we skipped over small just to just to be like overkillish and it just like automatically like it didn't even stop the server it just like upgrades and now all of a sudden you know you just look at the graph and we were like laughing the graph falls off from like three hours at a hundred percent cpu utilization down to like 15 (laughs) yeah it was like it was like hovering around 10 yeah and you know it was you know you just write a check basically it's like uh, went from something like 
I don't know, it was something like $20 a month to $100 a month or something. It was something like that. 60-ish maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but it was like, you know, when you're talking about an application with like tons of, that has that much traffic and is doing, you know, hopefully you're making some money. (laughs) Yeah. And it it makes, and and these numbers, like a number like $100 a month would be a trivial amount of, to pay for like a powerful database server. But anyway, it was super rad. Another thing you get for free, completely for free with RDS is that it just backs itself up automatically. Like by default. You don't even you don't even tell it to. You just like if you if you have a database on RDS, it's getting backed up. Yeah, yeah, which is super nice, and you can you can store those backups for what is it up to two weeks or is it just one week? I don't know. They go back pretty. There's like too many of them already. <laughs> like I can see, oh. there's yeah, they go I back think, at least a week. Yeah, I think I uh, was looking at the settings on the particular one you're talking about. I think it's set to go back a week. Mm. Yeah, and it's again, it's like how much do you want to pay for? Yeah. You, you can have it go on forever, you know, whatever's, you know, useful. And you just, you know, if you need to restore from a backup, it just, you just, it's like point, you know, click. Right click and select restore. Yeah. And it says, which backup do you want to restore from? Yeah. And you just pick one. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like when I think, I used to be a DBA for crying out loud. When I think back to the mm-hmm. pain and suffering of setting up, it didn't seem that bad at the time, but there are a lot of steps. You know, setting up like, like cron jobs and you know, like mm-hmm. MySQL dump scripts and then rsync to move those to another volume. It's just like so much work, and then and then you know, making sure it's it's working and monitoring monitoring all those processes. It's it's a lot. It's a yeah. big barrier yeah, to entry. Your your cron job dies for some reason, and you don't realize it. And then two weeks go by and you need a database backup and there's not one. Yeah. And then guess what? Yeah. You're making sure your resume is in order. Yeah. <laughs> but so you know what would be great is if there was some way to could be notified when something like that happened. Oh, wouldn't that be good? <laughs> yes. So the big the big thing that like I'm personally excited about uh is and Kelly was excited about it, but I texted her so many times that <laughs> she got sick of it. But it, I just blocked you. It's fine. <laughs> nice. AWS has one of the services under Amazon Web Services called SNS, and that stands for Simple Notification Service. And it's and I've heard about it. I heard about it when it was announced. It's been around for a while. It's still in beta, but it's been around for at least a year. And it was, I was kind of like, it was kind of a head scratcher when it was announced. And, and then yesterday, or the other, recently, the other day. I think it was yesterday. Oh, was it? God. Um, we set up, uh, I set up an alarm on the RDS instance after I upgraded the CPU. I set up an alarm using the, the Amazon has this cloud watch thing that allows you to monitor things and set thresholds. And like if the CPU hits 90, you know, goes over 90% for five minutes, then, 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 then do what? Then raise an error or raise a, raise an issue and, and scream for help. Yeah. Just send up a flare basically. And it's like, well, okay. You know, in the through, I, I sort of fell into SNS through the back door. So 
CloudWatch is like, oh, do you want to set up an alert for this? I'm like, yeah, create alert. And it makes it really easy, just like, yeah, if this goes over 90% for more than five minutes, then then it says then send uh, a, an alert to uh, Amazon SNS. And what that is is this like sort of discrete publish-subscribe mechanism that's so agnostic that it's it's like almost you almost can't figure out why it's good or what it's for. It's so, but then when it hits you. <laughs> yeah, when it hits you, you can't stop playing with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like aggressively abstract, I would call it. Uh yeah, I'd say so. It's like it's like a so basically what it what it does is, is it allows you to create like a area of interest, which they call a topic. And you can publish messages to the topic. And people can subscribe to the topic to hear about new messages, and they can they can decide how they want to be notified when new messages show up. So it's weird because it kind of sounds like RSS. It kind of sounds like a mailing list. It kind of sounds like broadcast SMS. It 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 kind of sounds like a lot of different things. But it really, it's the one piece of all of those things that's actually the powerful thing. Yeah. Did that come out right? Did that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Cool. <laughs> So like At least all, it does to me. Yeah, all those all of those things that I just mentioned have have share one feature, which is actually the only important piece of the of any of them, and that's what SNS is. It's like they took the core feature out of RSS and mailing lists and all this other junk, and they made it a discrete thing. Yeah, it's it's just PubSub for anything. Yeah, anything, anything that can connect to the internet. So, which increasingly is toasters and washing machines and... Yeah, your app can be totally toaster. My scale, yes. Totally <laughs> toaster, dude. So, I, so it, it's, it probably doesn't even sound like anything, even though we're trying to describe it. But you basically, you basically say, you just create this random hook in the, in the cloud of like, you could say like, um, Boston Red Sox and and invite people to subscribe to it or you could you could you you have to somehow get the word out about this this Amazon endpoint and mm-hmm. say hey there's this topic that people can subscribe to or publish to and and broadcast messages to all the other people and the people who subscribe to it can here's what's here's why it's different than a mailing list cuz a mailing list is strictly email but with SNS it takes it up a level of abstraction and says you can get notifications however you want. You can get an SMS, you can get an email, you can get a formatted email with a JSON body. You can you, you can get HTTP post data. Yep, or, or, or over HTTPS if you're worried about security. And inside of the inside of the um, the console, of, you know, when you're setting up the topic, you can say. Uh, you know who has access to publish, who has access to subscribe. Um, you know the different ways that they're allowed to subscribe. It's like all of that pain in the ass stuff that you wouldn't want to do uh, if you were setting up like you know any any kind of pub sub model. Yeah, you can you can post to it from an API. You can I mean there's a there's an API for for post for publishing to it. 
Yep. Or you can you can publish to it via whatever any other subscription method. You know, as many methods for posting as there are for subscribing. Yep. And um, I, yeah, it handles all of the subscription confirmation mm-hmm. and and the the subscription management. Yeah. So like so, uh, I invited Kelly to subscribe via SMS. So I created a topic and I said invite. Um, you know, Kelly's phone number. And so then like one second later, what happened? Yeah, I got an SMS uh, saying that I've been invited to subscribe and reply with like reply with yes. And it subscribes me to that topic. Right. So I had, I had literally clicked like two buttons to make that happen. And, you know, and typed in a name, <laughs> typed in your phone yeah. number. And it's like so radical, and like you said, it's got an API. There's a there's a command line interface that you can download for it. You could easily build the API into whatever application you were working on. Um, you could use the HTTPS to <clears throat> notify other APIs. Yeah, notify other APIs like uh, Twilio or or Ift. Or I'm assuming I haven't checked into this, but I'm assuming you could also uh, send to Apple's push notification service. Mm. So if you had a um, a native iOS app, or you could do the same thing on Android. Uh, if you had native mobile apps, you could use SNS to push to those uh, those you basically to ping those push servers to send out notifications for people who wanted to subscribe via native applications. It's just crazy. Yeah, one of the things I liked really liked about it um, was that you were sending messages. It, whenever you're sending a message, you can send different formatted versions of that message based mm-hmm. on however whatever subscription method it's it's broadcasting to yes yeah you can send you, so so protocol specific bodies i think is what it's called so you could say you have a default one http one email one so you could have a, like a long email message that gets broadcast to the email subscribers and uh, a short one that's sent to the sms subscribers yeah. Uh, like maybe, uh, maybe you post a message uh, over HTTPS to some web service API, and your web service API publishes the page, and and then at the same time you send an SMS broadcast to people that are subscribed that maybe links to that that page. Hmm. Yeah, it's like it's it's. I I'm surprised more people don't talk about it. It's like super awesome for. Um, you know, certainly for any kind of website monitoring, uh, any kind of like, any kind of alerts, any kind of time-sensitive information, it's just like all the other things that I've seen are like a very small sliver of this larger like abstraction. Yeah. Everything else seems and, hacky in comparison. And the free tier is like what, 100 messages a day? That no, what no? That's just at SMS. Oh, that's just SMS. Yeah. So, so that was the other thing that I wanted to bring up is the the drawbacks of it. So, even just looking at it for twenty four hours, there are a couple drawbacks. Um, first of all, it's not free, but it's very cheap. Uh, it's in beta, which means that um, not everything is supported everywhere. So. Mm-hmm. You have to set up, if you want to send SMS messages or you want to allow SMS subscriptions, you have to set up the, uh, 
um, SNS service in the east region of the US. Yeah. But that doesn't really matter because you can post to it from anywhere. So I don't really see, you know, I guess it's a little bit of a, I don't know, I, I don't see why that matters. Um, but that, anyway, in other words, like you can post to it from anywhere, so who cares where it is other than the, the normal concern where, like, what if that region goes down? But Yeah, and that's that's historically the one that tends to be a little bit problematic when there is a problem. Right. But. Yeah, so there's that. Um, the other thing is that uh, um, I noticed that you can't send SMS to Google voice numbers, but I doubt that that's a... I doubt that's a restriction of Amazon's. I think that's probably a Google Voice restriction, but who knows? I just noticed that you couldn't do it. Um, what else? There were some other, some other bummers about it. Mm. I don't know. Those those were the only ones you told me about. Yeah, I, under the I, currently, you're limited to like a hundred topics <laughs> per, <laughs> per account, but that seems pretty exorbitant to me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty. It's one of those things that you like look at it and you're like, damn. Oh, right. That's the, another big feature that I didn't mention that uh, that it, it just does right out of the gate very easily is that it manages failures. Mm. So if you have, um, you know, so if you send like an email and it bounces, it it knows that and you can set the retries to, you know, retry immediately or wait some period of time and then retry and then you can say you want the retries to degrade over time so that they eventually peter out to nothing uh, or they or they retry every five minutes ten times or you know there's all this stuff that would be a gigantic pain in the butt to program uh, and then on top of all that you can monitor it and then have it tell you how it's doing. <laughs> so, but if it goes down, it can't do that, can it? Yes, correct. But you can set up another one in the Oregon region that send you email, not SMS. Oh, there you go. There you it's, go. <laughs> it's totally, I mean, it, I think you said yesterday, it was like, like, wow, what a great way to overwhelm yourself with data. Yeah. You know? But, uh, I mean, it, it works, you know, from practical so, like on the one hand, my mind is kind of exploding with like, oh, I just got this Nest thermostat, and you know, can it? Can I yeah. have my lights flash when the heat comes on? And, you know, you know, send it by sending a you know HTTP request to Ift that then talks to my Philips Hue light bulbs. You know, it's like, but that's that's just stupid. That's me just being stupid. <laughs> but but I, I'll tell you, you know, we got an email yesterday that. The uh, the new RDS instance was like over ninety percent CPU usage, and it was like you just like instantly get the notification. You can instantly check and see like, oh man, what's going on? And it turned out it was the database backup. But uh, I mean, it's incredibly incredibly useful and practical for for certainly for site monitoring, if nothing else. Incredibly easy. Duh. Dangerously easy, as with all of their services. Yes, I. Speaking of AWS, I added um, their two-factor authentication to my account this week. Oh, cool! That's right. I forgot about that. And um, it works well. What they do, they send you. Well, you have to buy it, but it's like, it's like ten bucks. Um, basically, just this little. It looks like a USB drive. 
thumb drive, and it's got a little LCD display on it. You push a button, and it gives you this nine-digit numeric code, and you enter it. You you your login and password, and then you enter this code mm. uh, to log into your account. And it works really well, but I was hoping that it would was hoping that it would extend across all of the AWS services that like that I have access to. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, um, I have I have access to certain things on your AWS account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was hoping that when I went to log into those, it would also ask me to uh, to provide the the extra extra step there. But it didn't. It just just applies it to my my main. Uh, AWS account. Yeah, that is not my favorite. Like, like the fact that Amazon doesn't have a single view of identity. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's a bug or a feature. To tell you the truth, you. I guess you could argue that it's more secure. Yeah, but yeah, it's not my favorite though because you have to. I'm constantly no. like logging out and logging back in to like yeah. the client accounts and stuff. But that is that is. Uh, pretty, um, pretty paranoid that you have that. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, uh, I was hoping that it would that it would extend to those other accounts too, because you know they're they're accounts for clients. Yeah. So it would be nice if just to have that extra layer of, of protection there. Well, now I wonder if they turned on two factor authentication, if you'd be able to use that same I'd sticker. I'd be able to use mine. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Yeah. Probably not. I don't know though. I don't think you may have to. Yeah, you may have to have to get a a um a little thing and 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 try it, and we can try it out and see. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. Huh. Well, we're already stretching the limits of our new shorter <laughs> format, so let's let's tie a knot on this one. Okay. But uh, yeah, Amazon Web Services people, check it out. It is the future. Uh, yes, and I got an email today again saying they lowered their prices on S3. So. <laughs> that, that's the other thing. <laughs> Keeps getting cheaper and faster. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, and then if you, I'm about to buy some reserved instances because they're they're dirt cheap. Mm. Yep. There's a learning curve, no doubt about it, but it is absolutely worth every minute. So that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for our birthday episode with Ethan Marcotte. Talk to you then. Bye.